Maybe I didn't pause it. Maybe I turned it off. I'm not sure. Right, so we call everybody now. Okay. My camera is not working. I shut off. I turn back on again, and it's not working. I'm sure you can hear me, but you can't see me. It's a very, very disturbing thing. I'm very sorry, because Skype is supposed to be able to see, and then we'll be able to work nicer and easier. For some reason, it's not working. I'm asking you to turn on the video. It's not turning on. I don't have time to shut down the whole computer now. Okay, we're going to start this year anyway. Hopefully everybody can see in here at least. Um, we are holding the last days of Pesach. Chalamayit Pesach, we have started the Sphere Sa'imer. On Shvish Pesach. There are many interesting laws. Many interesting laws as far as the way the Yomtev is treated. Firstly, it's called Shvi Shal Pesach. Unlike when in Sukkis, the eighth day is referred to as Shmini Atzeres, and the last day is Simchas Teda, thereby being a Yomtev on its own, thereby being a Yomtev for its own, in its own way, in its own light. In this case, Shvi Shal Pesach is Kishmei Kenhu. It's Shvi is the seventh day in continuation with Pesach. Therefore, although the first day and the first nights of Pesach we recite the entire Hallel, on Shvi Shal Pesach, just like in Chalamayit Pesach, just like Chalamayit Pesach, we only say half of Hallel. You know, I, I hate to do this to you people, I'm going to make one more attempt on the call so we can get my camera going. I'm going to call back in a second. I'm not getting the option here to call group on video call. That's the problem. Okay. So let's try this. I don't want to take him out. Um... It's not giving me the option of calling with video. 
camera is totally turned off. That's why it's not giving me the option. Okay, anybody can text me how to turn on this camera. That'd be a wonderful thing, a wonderful mitzvah. Um, until then, we're going to have to continue the shear. I do not see this at all. I don't see a camera. Should be a camera here. In my control panel. Okay, I'm afraid I don't have it. I don't find it. Gonna repeat this call and leave it as a call. I'm sorry, everybody. Okay, I'm sorry. So Shvish of Pesach, as we said, unlike the first days of Pesach, is a continuation of Chalamoid Pesach, and continuing Chalamoid Pesach, just like on Chalamoid, only half the Hallel is recited. So too. Shvish Pesach, only half the howl is recited. Another very important halacha that we have to know on Shvish Pesach is on Shvish Pesach we do not make the bracha of Shehechiyano. Shvish Pesach is not a yomtiv in its own right. Therefore, on Shvish Pesach we do not make the bracha of Shehechiyano. But, and we, and it's a almost an obligation of the man of the house to remind his wife not to make a Shekhyano by Lech Benshin. There is a far-fetched um, opinion that cites that if the person made Kiddush, which the regular Kiddush on Shvisha Basel by night is the Beri Priyagofen, as, as was in Yom Tif. And then the Yom Tif Kiddush. And if by accident the person made the bracha of Shehechiyano at the end of Kiddush, then the person, according to an opinion, we don't hold according to this opinion, Shemir Shabbos Kehilchasa brings down many different reasons for not to. If the person makes a Shekhiyonu, then the person should make again the Beri Priyagofen. According to one opinion. Why should he make again a Beri Priyagofen? Because since he made a Hefzik, he made a interruption between the Kiddush and the drinking of the wine, which ordinarily the Shekhyonu, of course, as we know, is not a hefsik, is not an interruption. But here it would be considered an interruption because it's not something that we're supposed to be saying. So if the person, according to one opinion, would make that Shekhyonu, then the person would be obligated to remake the bracha of Eipiagofen. Shemir Shabbos Kehilchasa comes out that we do not do as such. However, 
when we finish the bracha, we immediately we immediately make we immediately drink the wine as much as we can, and then immediately and then immediately we make we say Baruch Shem Kivayit Machusayde Elamvayit, which is what's recited on a daily basis after Kriya Shema. And in this particular case, in this particular case, sorry, after, when we make a bracha which is not valid, what is a bracha that is not valid? Shekhanarach tells us, that when a person makes a bracha, the person should have in mind exactly what he's making a bracha on. A person should not make a bracha, start off, then decide, am I eating a piece of cake? Am I eating a fruit from a tree? Am I eating a fruit from the ground? Am I drinking a cup of water? Um, obviously, he's not going to have that question if he has to eat bread, because if he has eating bread, he can make the proper, intent, the proper preparation, which should be to wash the hands prior. But if the person says Baruch Ata Hashem the person already has to know what he's going to make a bracha for. Excuse me. This famous story of the Levitzchak Badichev. This story was told by the Rebbe Rashab. The Rebbe Rashab. All the Rabbeim of Chabad, they would have talks, the Fabrengans, and they would speak different Sikhs, different Torah thoughts. Often, the Rabbeim would chazer amayna. They would say a, diff- a discourse, a Hasidic discourse, which is more than just a Sikha. The Maina was something from a different, total different status and level of which we are connected to. We saw by the Rebbe himself, when the Rebbe would say a maimah, excuse me, the Rebbe would wrap a handkerchief around his hand and recite the maimah. What exactly, how exactly, spiritually, physically, this works, it's not something we want to delve into. Not something that we need to delve into at the moment. The idea is, though, when the Rebbe would say, the mind of the Rebbe knew nothing that was going on around him. And so, too, when the Rebbe Rashab was saying, the Chassidim were clamoring, the Chassidim were pushing to get closer to hear the words. <coughs> Obviously, there's no microphone. It got so pressured, so strong, the chassidim were leaning on the table and they collapsed the table of the Rebbe Rashab. The table fell apart. So the chassidim were very, very pressed together. They couldn't exactly 
just sweep out the, the bits and the, sheds, the shreds of the table. So they were passing the small pieces of the table that had broken up into splitters, splinters, and they passed them out to the outside. When the Rebbe Rashab opened his eyes, he said, I want to tell you a story. When I believe Yitzchak and Bardichev, the holy Bardichev, wanted to do the mitzvah of Shechita, he studied all the laws of Shechita, and then studied all the holy ramifications, all the holy intentions that a person can have while Shechting. And then, when the Levi Yitzchak finally was ready to shecht, he took the chicken in his hand, and he pulled back the neck, and he held the chalif in his hand. The chalif is the knife that's used for, especially for slaughtering, ritual slaughtering. And as he started to recite the bracha, the benediction, which the bracha made for it. He started to concentrate with all the different intentions that are meant to be thought of. So deep was his thought that the chicken realized that the man was somewhere else and he escaped. By the time the Levik finished the bracha and he looked to shech the chicken, the chicken was gone. The Levik said, Vudahun, where's the chicken? So, so, so too said the Rashab when he opened his eyes and saw that his table that was sitting in front of him before was gone, he too asked, where's the table? <coughs> a bracha, when it's made, that one must know exactly what they're making a bracha on. One must know exactly what they're doing with his bracha. What happens, says the Shulchan Aruch? If the person is outside a room and he knows inside the room on the table is a delicious piece of cake and he's starving and every second counts he's at a point where he's going to faint and it needs to get that he needs to ingest that piece of cake as quick as possible. So by going into the room and standing in front of that cake and lifting the cake the way halacha requires, and holding it in your hand, in your right hand, and first starting to make the bracha with the proper intentions, he might be dead. He might die before he eats it. So what does he do? From outside the room, he starts, Baruch Ato Hashem, and he opens the door, and he comes running in, and he sees, Hayela De Nano, the cake is gone. Says I have a solution for you. Don't worry. The solution is to say the words Lamdeni Chukecho. There is a pasuk in the famous capital of Tehillim of Kufiutes, one hundred chapter one nineteen. Baruch Atah Hashem Lamdeni Chukecho. That's an entire pasuk, and therefore, if the person accidentally said Baruch Hashem 
but did not finish the bracha. The solution, says Shulchan Aruch, is to say the two words, thereby, thereby the person will not have mentioned the Almighty's name in vain, which in its own right is a sin, of course. And therefore, when the person says, Hashem, before Elekeinu, he says Elekei, again there is a way to complete that. Another pasuk. If the person now ever said Elekeinu, and then realizes that the cake or the fruit or the drink or whatever it is, is no longer there, then the person has to say the words Baruch Shem Kivayit Malchusay V'Yelam That is what's recited when a person says a bracha when mentions God's name in vain. We say Baruch Shem Kivayit Malchusay V'Yelam And thereby the same stands here, the same halacha, that if the person said the Shehechiyanu, recited the Shehechiyanu, on the night of Shvi Shal Pesach, or the next night, of course, Achan Shal Pesach will hold the same din. The person, unlike what the halacha wants, the one opinion brings down, which is the person should make again a Be'er Pi'agofen, it's not necessary to make the Be'er Pi'agofen, but rather drink immediately, and drink the proper amount, not just take a sip, and then the person says, Baruch Shem Kveid Machus So Sheikh Yonu, as we said now, is not recited on Shvi Shal Pesach till the end of Pesach. This year, Shvi Shal Pesach is on a Friday. For those who are keeping score, that's not tomorrow, it's tomorrow night. Tomorrow night we begin the Yom Tov of Shvi Shal Pesach. Shvi Shal Pesach is on a Friday, subsequently Achran Shal Pesach is on Shabbos. Now what's very interesting to note is our brethren in Israel who we're going to speak about soon are going to take a little deviation from us for a few weeks. Our brethren of Israel are going to have to make Erev Tavshinon this year. A rare, 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 rare mitzvah that they come across. Erev Tafshilin gives us the right to cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. To cook on Yom Tov for Shabbos. And therefore, the Erev has to be made before Yom Tov so that we can cook things on Friday, which is going to be Yom Tiv, for the next day, which is Shabbos. A beautiful thought. We are preparing, we are making a bridge, this Erev Tafshilin, so that we can eat, that we can cook, on Friday, something for Shabbos. Now, halachically, 
one should be able to taste as well something that they are cooking. In other words, not leave it three quarters raw, but rather it should be edible. One should be able to taste the food that they are cooking on Friday, on Yom Tif, for Shabbos. The Erev Tafshilin is practically a simple process. We need to take a Tafshil, a cooked item, and a matzah, in this case a matzah of course, because we can't mention the unmentionable. And of course, if we're careful to eat matzah shmura all year, then of course here, so here too we should be very careful to make sure that the Erev Tavshilin is matzah shmura since, as we just said, it has to be something that we can eat from. And the cooked item, a either a boiled egg or a piece of fish, we then take them together and we bring, we take a bracha and a special prayer in which we are allowed, therefore, to make to be able to cook from Friday, from Yom Tif to Shabbos. It's not a loophole. We're not curving anything. We're not, Chas wiping away any mitzvahs. We're not causing any Averis. This is a mitzvah for itself to make an Erev Tavshil. And therefore... The mitzvah, it is done on Thursday, before sunset, of course. It is put away and is eaten on Shabbos. And this too has a brach, as we said. What has to happen is though you have to be mezakeh somebody else. You have to give somebody else the matzah to give to you as well. During the year, any other Yom Tevim, the Erev Tavshilin can be made with matzah, it can be made with the leavened bread that we use throughout the year. The unmentionable bread. A person, the Nishvakeni Midach, has no, has mis- is missing a parent or parents. They should prepare a candle to light on Friday afternoon in this case as Yisker is going to be recited on Shabbos Yisker is a prayer in which we remember our loved ones our departed Many, many shuls have a special Yisker appeal.
is in the Yuska we say that we're going to donate in the memory of the person. It is very important that we remember to make that donation after Yom Tov. On Shvisha Pesach, the Torah reading The Torah reading by day is the Torah portion of Ayib Shalach Pare Yisaom. Ayib Shalach Pare Yisaom, of course, the Pasha, which talks about the Jews leaving Egypt. According to history. The Jews left Egypt on the first day of Pesach. On the seventh day of Pesach, they crossed the Yamsuf. Crossing the Yamsuf, the miracle of the splitting of the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, a miracle which has not been duplicated. According to most opinions, when the splitting of the sea took place, all water throughout the world, no matter what a person was drinking water, whatever it was, the waters all split. So that what? So that everyone should say, what was that? And it would be known before internet, before telegram, before telegraph, before telephone, before cell phone, before smartphone, before iPad before Twitter before everything else it was known throughout the world that the almighty God of the Jews performed a miracle for his nation and split the water so that the Jews could go through in the dry land when we read a portion of the Teda on a Shabbos, every Shabbos every weekly basis we also read the Haftorah. Now the Haftorah is found usually in one of the prof- books of prophets or scriptures. The reason that we have the Haftorah is because at one point in time in history the Jews were forbidden to learn Torah. Since they could not study from the Torah scrolls and they were not allowed to read the Torah in their synagogues on Shabbos, the sages at the time found a portion in the Vim, or Ksuvim, whatever it was, that matched up with that Torah portion, that weekly Torah portion, and saw to it that the shuls all read from that Torah portion. From that after. That then became called Haftera, and it's the Hafteras that we have until today that are instituted in our daily life. Interesting to note, the Haftera, when we read Pashas Bishalach during the year, the Haftera is the Haftarah known as Shiraz Devoira. 
There are ten shiris. There are ten songs. One, of course, is Az Yashemesha, the shira of Pashas Peshalach. And one is Shiras Devera. Shiras Devera, we read the story of Devera Isha Anavia, the prophetess Devora. You can check the archives of the Shiran. You'll find the archive, you'll find the Pashas. Shalach. And Pasha B'Shalach, I don't know which year it was, I cannot remember. I talk at length about the Haftera of Shiraz Devera. The miracle, the story, etc. If you're going to send me an email telling me that you found in a few archives I spoke about it, it's not my fault. It's called Senior Moments or something I felt very important to read. To talk about That is when we read the parasha of Pasha B'Shalach. When we read on Shvi'i Shal Pesach, this Friday, again, Pasha's B'Shalach, the Haftorah that we're going to read, instead of Shira's Devera, is the Shira of David. question is, why the change? Tafresh Peites On the last day of Pesach, it's 1938, a letter that was written by Rav Chachafegin, Shem Yiddish a old Chosid. And as he introduces the Sikha, he writes, You no doubt know how each Torah reading has its own Aftera. Shabeshira, because it's talking about the splitting of the Red Sea, the Red sea on the way out of Egypt, the matching Aftera is the very the prophetess. But on the seventh day, the Red Sea was split, and that's why we read this, because commemorating the actual splitting of the Red Sea, the Haftarah is a praise sung by David HaMelech. At that Fabrengen, the Rebbe, Kachfegen writes the Rebbe Shlita, referring to the Friedrich Rebbe at the time, related that his great-grandfather, the Tzemach Tzedek, once said about his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, once asked on Shvi Pesach, why do we read Shiraz David, and why B'Shalach do we read Shiraz Devera? And then the Rafidic Rebbe continues. And he says, My great grandfather, Tzemach Tzedek, 
In the year 1801, which is 5561, the Hebrew year, said that his grandfather, the Alter Rebbe, told the story of the opening words as follows. In the times of my grandfather, said the Alter Rebbe. Who was the Alter Rebbe's grandfather? The Alter Rebbe used to refer to his teacher and his master, the Mazritcha Magid, as his father, not just spiritually, but literally called him his father. And when he referred to, made references to the Balshem HaKadosh, he called him the Zayda. Sorry, old people on Skype, showing you a better part, but... On Skype. Over here, Shabbos. The Altarebbe then told that in the time of my grandfather, the Bashem Tov, a very interesting thing took place. The Baal Shem Tov spent many, many years wandering. He wandered. He never told anybody who he was. He didn't disclose his sanctity, his holiness. And traveled and wandered like a simple Jew. He would go from town to town and he would tell people stories, uplifting stories, inspiring stories, that people were very, very oppressed at the time, especially, this is after the story of Shabtai Tzvi, where people thought that this is the Mashiach, and they found out the false Messiah that he was, and the destruction that it caused. And so now the Baal Shem Tov went from town to townlet, to town to city, to try to uplift and to try to encourage and inspire the Jewish nation, his brethren, through story and through Torah. In one such town, many years before, a young man, very young man, passed away, leaving a very, very young orphan. To add insult to injury, a year or so later, the man's wife passed away, <laughs> leaving the child a total orphan. Baruch Hashem, there was an uncle, and the uncle got involved in the child's education. And the uncle saw to it that the child would sit and study with the city Malamed, the town Malamed, who was a teacher. And this is the better form of education, where the child got form almost a private The private was, of course, on a higher level than the 
learning with the public, with all the other boys. And this boy was enrolled with, the f- with four or five other boys, and they would sit and learn. Now, boys that studied with the Malamed obviously did not just um, dawdle. They didn't spend a year doing the same subject, alabes or reading or vowels. They moved. They forged ahead. Because the group was so small, because the Malamed was very, very educated usually, and because the children were a little more advanced, So, the children would study at a different pace. And the children here, too, were studying at a different pace. And they were coming very well along. They learned how to read. They learned how to write. They learned Chumash. They learned Rashi. They learned Mishnayis and Gemara. However, our little orphan here had a little bit of a learning disability, apparently. And his learning disability... Kept him way behind. And whereas all his study mates were already doing Gemara, the Malamed was still spending time teaching him the letters and trying to put together the vowels. Nebuch, the poor child, was not able to keep up. After many, many months, the Malamed went to the uncle, said, Mister, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your money. Child is not capable, Nebuch. Put him back with the rest of the children, in the regular education with all the children, and let him, whatever he gets, he gets. Ten, eleven years old, the poor boy, was a misfit, he just could not get into the system. Try as he may. All the boys were studying, and he could barely read. And finally it was decided, right after the boys' bar mitzvah, that the boy be sent to a tinsmith. As an apprentice to a tinsmith. Let the tinsmith at least teach him a trade. Let him have something in his life. Torah obviously is not his forte. And the boy took well to the tinsmith. The tinsmith, unfortunately, was not much of a Talmud Chacham either. But even the not Talmud Chacham that he was, he knew how to make brachas. He knew every blessing that he had to make. He knew some chumash. He knew the stories of the parashas. He even knew some Mishnayis. And of course, he knew Tehillim. And the tinsmith throughout the day, as he did his work, would recite Tehillim, recite some Mishnayis sometimes. But he would be constantly praying. And he took this young fellow under his wing, and under the Tinsmith tutelage, he was able to teach the child all the blessings that one makes before they eat. What are the different blessings for meat, for food, for bread, for cake, whatever it might be. 
and the boy was doing well. He grasped all the brachas. He knew all the blessings that he had to make. And would sit and do work. And he worked well. He was a good worker. However, he noticed the tinsmith's main, ha- main hatzlacha, main success in his business, is that throughout the day, he's constantly reciting words of, of Torah, and of, of something, I don't know what. Now it bothered this child. Don't think that he didn't understand that he was in a world of illusion. He knew very well that he was different and he could not learn Torah. And this bothered him very, very much. And therefore, when he noticed the tinsmith's wonderful custom of constant reciting, he took to reciting the only thing he knew, which was the brachas. He would stand all day and say, He wasn't eating anything. wasn't drinking anything. But he knew that these were a connection to God. Brachas were connections to God. And he wanted throughout the workday, just like his master, he too wanted to be connected to God. Till one day someone came along and told him, Bracha, it doesn't work like that. You can't just say brachas. You can't just recite blessings. You have to eat something or drink something to make a blessing. Making brachas doesn't work. Now the child had finally thought or felt somewhat successful, but he saw now this wasn't working. He knew the olive base. And so he would start to repeat the olive base. And all day long he would say, olive base, gimbal, dalid, comets, patach, tzere, segel, the vowels, and the letters. And this is how he repeated day in and day out. He did well. He learned the business well. He was honest. He was likable. And then, the tinsmith felt it's not fair on him, on the boy, to still stay as an apprentice. There was plenty of business for another tinsmith in town. He offered the boy to move on and go open his own shop. The boy readily agreed and he opened the shop and God blessed him with success. With tremendous success. And in a very short time he was quite famous and started to get very, very wealthy. Beautifully. He married also a good businessman's daughter. And he said, All this is worth nothing to me if I don't know how to study Torah. And they had a few, they were blessed with two children, three children, two boys and a girl. And he went to the Rav of the city and he said, Rebbe, please tell me, please, what do I do? I need to be able to study Torah. I just cannot open my mind. 
and the Rav of the city told him he should support Torah scholars, which is the commonplace um, exchange. The exchange that was made between Yisach and Zvulun, the two brothers, Smach Zvulun B'Tzisecha, Yisach Ba'elecha. Zvulun is happy with going out and working, as Yisachar is sitting and learning. Why are they both happy at the same level? Because those who support the Torah scholars have the merit as if they too were sitting and studying. And so too told the rabbi this fellow, you keep supporting Torah scholars anonymously, and you will have the same merit as those who learn Torah. Now in the town, it was not often that you got a guest. Travel was hard. And this is a far-off town that really was not connected to anything big. So not many guests came to town. If a guest would ever come, a lottery was drawn between the people of the town. Who would be the lucky one to host a guest? One time, a fellow with a horrific rash from head to toe showed up in town and our friend the tinsmith was zeicher to get this leper in his house he's hosting this person and the leper was in terrible pain from the rash all over his body and so our rich man saw to it personally to deal with him, to bathe him, to change his bandages, he got him special ointments to alleviate the pain. But after a short stay of two, three days, the man was ready to take leave. Our tin fellow, our tin man, got very upset and said, please, don't rush. I'll look after you here. Please just stay with me a little while longer. And the man readily agreed. And the wealthy man, true to his word, looked after him, changed his bandages, got him medication, until the man was basically back on his feet normal. And when all was said and done and the man was ready to leave, he said to him, Please pray, tell me, my friend. What is it that caused you to be so ill? And the man told him, I had a very strong yearning for learning Torah. And I couldn't find. God wasn't opening my mind. So I began to take on many, many days of fasting. And I fasted day day in and day out. And I took on many different physical, let's not call it punishments, but hardships. And through all these physical hardships, I merited to have my mind opened, and the study of Torah was granted to me. The man heard this story, and immediately... As soon as his guest left, 
he too undertook to begin fasting for days on end. He went out into the forest. He let the ants bite him. He, he took on tremendous sigufim, pains, so that he too would finally merit to have his mind open for Torah. And one day as he was sitting there suffering, and his mind was just not opening up, he broke down crying hysterically. And in the distance, a young man, a beggar, with a staff and a bag over his shoulder, says to him, what's the matter with you, my brother? Why do you moan? Why do you cry so? And he told him, I have not merited to understand learning of Torah. I have much money, I have family, I have beautiful everything, but I cannot sit and learn Torah. And this bothers me to no end. And the shepherd man, shepherd looking man, the man with his staff and his bag, says to him, Rabid, you really want to learn Torah? He says, yes. What are you willing to give up besides fasting? And he told him why he's fasting, who taught him this and everything. It's a great idea. I have a better idea for you. He says, please, please pray, tell me my brother, please. He says, you're a wealthy man, you say. He says, yes. Sign me over everything you own. All your money, all your house, all your riches. Sign it over to me. And then come with me for three years. Travel with me for three years, and your mind and heart will be open to the Holy Torah studies. The man said, give me a paper. I'm ready to sign. Ah, ah. Slow down, my brother, slow down. You can't make such a major decision on one foot. Let me give you a week to discuss this with your wife, your family. I'll give you a, white, a week to think this over. And in a week's time, I will meet you in this spot. And so the man went home and told his wife of this offer and how he just can't find a place in his heart to refuse it. And the wife said, All is good and well. I ask only one favor. Before you go off for three years with this person, since we are going to become destitute, we'll be penniless, I would like, before you do that, since guests are so hard to come by, and so rarely do we do the mitzvah of Achnas welcoming guests, I'd like to ask one time this rich this man join us for a meal. And this way, one last time, we'll be able to form Achnasarchim before we lose everything. And then I am more than willing, more than happy to give up everything for you to be able to study Torah as I see how bitter it makes you, how sad you are that you can't study Torah. The man then went to his father-in-law and told him the same. The father-in-law said, you don't understand what you're doing. How could you give up a wife and children and family, not support them, let's walk away, just for your study of Torah? 
you know that supporting Torah scholars is just as good. Like, will you be the first unlearned person in the world? First person that didn't know how to learn Torah? No. And all these people are granted, and not all of them are granted, to have riches so they could support Torah scholars. Many of those unlearned people, they will go without that as well. You have at least that. Don't give that up, my friend. Don't give it up, my son. Don't be foolish. Don't put out your sons and daughter and mother and wife onto the street. Now he was in a turmoil. Now he had doubts. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing the right thing? Finally, he could not take anymore. And he went back to his meeting, spa- meeting place, forest, and he met his benefactor. And he told him, I'm ready to sign, but... He says, but what? Do you have a doubt? If you have a doubt, it's not a problem. Go home. It's not a problem. Many, many people support Torah scholars and it's just as good as Torah. You even have more reward than they do. And he explained, no, that's not my issue. He says, my father-in-law brought up this problem and he said what his father-in-law voiced. And I'm not sure, am I doing the right thing or not? So again the man told him that, listen, you have a right to go back, You're not, nobody's keeping you here. He said, no, I want to do this, I have no doubt. There's nothing else in my life but study of Torah. I cannot live without the study of Torah. Therefore you must take me with you. Everybody keeps telling me off, Daisy. Feel sorry for me. Love me. Hug me. And so, he says, but there's only one problem. My wife has a stipulation. My wife wants you join us for one meal. So when they arrived, it was evening, and the house was set beautifully. And the man asked, "Is it yomtiv today?" The husband says, "I don't know." That's why. What's the yomtiv? She said, first of all, we have a guest. That's a yomtev in his home. Secondly, Hashem is taking back his pikadon. He's taking back what he's given us all these years and moving it on. Giving it to the next owner. The money is not ours, never was, never will be. Money's God. Now he's taking it back to move it on. It's a yomtiv. How many people, Rahman al Sun, lost all their riches in so many different so many different ways, so many higher ways? This is a blessing that God is taking it this way. And so it was yomtiv. The festive meal was wonderful. It was too late for them to leave at night. So they stayed overnight. Earlier the next morning, 
the men were ready to leave, papers signed, all the money, the gold and the silver and the coins, in a bag handed to this man, And the man turns to the woman. He says, now listen here. Your husband and I are going to be traveling. For the next three years, stay in the house. Don't worry about it. The garden and the orchard, if you get any fruit from there, keep it. Use it. No problem. I'm lending it to you. I'm not giving it to you, I'm lending it to you. And that's what it was. After a few weeks, the garden and the orchard started to produce so much. The woman was able to sell and keep and sustain her family without any problem. The three years went by a lot quicker than she thought. The husband came back to Talmud Chacham. Everything was sold and they moved to a different home. And the husband became a hidden tzaddik. Says the Alter Rebbe, the joy this woman had is comparable to the joy the Jews had when they crossed the Red Sea. Since only a woman could reach such a level of joy, therefore, Shir's Devora is red. The Shir of the woman, Devora, the prophetess, is red on Pasha B'Shalach. And since the Shmini, the Pesach, the reading of the Red Sea, the reading of the Kriyat Shamsuf, is the days of preparation, as Shvish Pesach and Achav Pesach are preparation for the coming of Mashiach, and David is a descendant from Mashiach Tzidkenu. Therefore, we read the Shir of David. May we truly see the Sudas of Mashiach on Thursday, on, Friday, on Shabbos, and we sit with Mashiach at Canaan this very Shabbos. May we truly see the true Geula Hamitas Vashtema through Mashiach at Canaan on this very Yom Tif. L'chaim, l'chaim, l'vracha. Thank you for joining.